Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you sharing. And if you also, hey, if you guys have any questions, he's going to be here. Uh, you're going to fly back tomorrow afternoon. So um, here after church, we're going to eat. He's actually been to Zambia. He's getting ready to go back here pretty soon. So if you have any missions questions, um, you can ask him. Or if you have any personal questions, let me just take care of it up front. He is single. So you can just go from that if you know of anybody in the in the range for that. So let's turn our, in our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians. We're not going to be in Luke today. Normally we're going through the book and the Gospel of Luke on Sunday morning. This is the day that I have been with you guys uh, one year. It is, yes. And so it's been awesome. It's been great. It has been a great year. I have enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, I just want to want to speak to you this morning. This is not going to be one of our normal um, messages. I just want to kind of speak to you from the heart and to use 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 18. We have in the bulletin verses 12 through 18. That's so you can get the context. But I just want to kind of hone in on here and just kind of uh, open up this and unpack this idea. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 18. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's 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 not not right. I'm in the totally the wrong chapter. In fact, this morning I was up early highlighting stuff from chapter two, but I'm actually preaching from chapter three. Y'all okay? All right. So so here we go. It's just so good. I got my Bible marked up and don't know where to start. So uh, verse 18 of Second Corinthians chapter three, and the Bible says this: and we all with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. And that word transformed in the original language is the word for metamorphosis. Like a caterpillar to a butterfly. We're being changed. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes... Notice the source of this change in our lives. For this comes from... The Lord who is the Spirit. So the transformation in our lives is something that comes from God. Amen? I mean, that is good news because if you've ever, if you've ever been in a relationship, like I've seen this before, you've got a, a very sweet, a very godly girl, and she goes out and she begins to, uh, you ever seen this happen to where the girl pursues the guy? Right? She's like, I see this dude and he's going to be my project. And she's trying to change him and he may, you know, he may come to church and he may walk down the aisle and, you know, get saved so that he can get the approval of her mom and dad. But then he doesn't really change because what has happened is that we've tried to change people. What the Bible says is that the only way that any of us can ever be absolutely, totally changed is notice that this comes, the last phrase, from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I just want to start this off by saying thank you. It's a church. Thank you for the house that I'm able to live in. Thank you, Joseph, for cutting the grass. Thank you for giving me a place to do ministry. Thank you for the adventures that I've been on. Some adventures have involved shooting things. Some adventures have involved seeing things. Blue Ridge Parkway. It's been an awesome year. Thank you guys for the hospitality been to many of your homes, and some of you, you're just plain hard to track down. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so some of you guys could have a successful life in crime. Hopefully you don't choose that because I have not been able to find you at all. Thank you guys also for being, um, being open. I know that, that my style 
Um, the way that, that I preach has been different for the way that many of you have been accustomed to for, for a good, good long while. Uh, normally, and what I am, I guess if you say, Jeff, what kind of a preacher are you? I, I hope to be this kind of a preacher. It's kind of a big word. It's called an expository preacher, which means that what I say, that's the reason why in, the, in, our, in our outlines in the bulletin, we just go verse by verse so that what I say, I hope, is not my ideas, but I try to, to exposit and draw out from the Bible truth and then share that with you. So that's the reason why a lot of times the sermons go a little bit longer um, than the traditional Baptist 20 to uh, maybe about 30 minutes of three points in a poem. And that is not a criticism of the men who preach normally that long. It's just that when you preach through a book of the Bible, you got to kind of give the background and give the application and kind of what's going on there. So I just want to say thank you guys for, um, for being patient with that and accepting that. At least I think most of you. I think the first conversation that I had when I actually came to Rocky Mount uh, was with a person who's no longer with us, who's a member here at the church, who told me uh, in no uncertain terms that God doing work here at Rocky Mount Baptist was near to impossible. And I, I'm giving, giving just the gist of that, um, that it's, it's pretty, pretty much far gone and um, trying to pull it out of a nosedive, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot. But this is no, I, I just... I, I want to share this in all humility because if it's me, it's going to crash and burn tomorrow. I believe this is the work of simply Jesus who says that if you preach me, if you tell people about me, if you, no matter who you are, you don't have to be a preacher, but when you preach God's Word, the Holy Spirit takes it and does a transformational work in people's lives. So just for those of you, and we, I'm not saying this, if you're new with us, please do not, I, I just, I, you are not a number, all right? None of you are a number to me. You are not a number to this church. You are not a number, I hope, to any group that we do ministry with. But praise be to Jesus that He has brought us, um, we had to actually calculate this up last week, 45 new people um, since last year. Um, and we praise the Lord for that. Amen. And um, about half of those, a little less than half, are baptisms and salvation. So the Lord is blessing us. And I don't know if you, if you know, but this is the way it's actually supposed to happen. All right, This is the way it's actually supposed to happen if you're a young pastor. You go to a church, right? If it, we're talking Baptist here. And within the first year, you had to have a lot of called business meetings and a lot of church drama, a lot of people mad at you, a lot of pastors mad at the people. And it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like church Jerry Springer. I mean, I mean, am I not, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's just the way that it is. And it's just like drama. And what happens in situations like that, the lost people or maybe young, younger people who run churches is like, man, I don't have time to go on a Wednesday night from 7 until 9.30 and vote on what kind of toilet paper we're going to use. Like seriously, like get a life. And, and sometimes our, our churches atrophy and, and that's what happens. But I praise the Lord that none of you got the memo on what's supposed to happen. We just want to let the Lord work. I'm going to give you a couple of um, reports about the website that Matt has has put together. Um, our website, we've actually had visitors from 42 different states, visitors from 24 different countries, including India, Russia, Japan, Brazil, Pakistan, Kenya, and China. 
The site has been translated into 11 languages. Apparently when people hit that with Google from other countries, it automatically translates it. Um, some of our, the podcast, if you subscribe to iTunes, you can look us up on iTunes. And that way, every week we have a new sermon that's there available for you to download for free. Um, a couple of the messages, one had 567 downloads, um, one had 324. There's probably around 200 people who subscribe to that. A lot of those people do not live around here. So through your giving and through your gifts, God is through uh, the ministry of Matt and some people. Um, and there's a lot more statistics here that I could give you if you want to talk about it after the service. But when you're able to put the gospel, and I know for some of you, uh, some of you may not even be online. You're like, man, the only thing that I think of when I think of a computer is cuss words. Like, I hate them. I don't want to get online. I, I want to be offline. I don't enjoy that. But the Lord has, in His providence, allowed something to be created to where people connect and share information. So what is happening through the ministry of you giving to this church, there's an online ministry that's actually reaching people in different countries. So what we do here on Sunday morning is not just a Franklin County experience, okay? It's able through the World Wide Web to go other places. And uh, let me just say this. Uh, I've, I've heard some, some passing comments about, um, about Jeff, and he's not going to be here very long, and I don't know why people would say that, or, you know, how much longer do you have on your Ph.D.? Okay, so we should probably count on you not being here after that. Um, my resume is not out. I don't plan for it to be out. I would like to stay here um, as long as God lets me. Um, if a church calls and says we would like you to, uh, to come be our pastor, I've got a great line. I'll say, well, at what point do we handle snakes? And then maybe, maybe they'll leave me alone after that point. But just... Some of y'all, I was just just kidding. I was totally kidding. Some of you guys did not get that at all. So um, it just kind of flows, you know. The, I, but just to be honest, man, I, I'm, I don't view, and I think we talked about this as a family a few months ago, about um, sometimes pastors use churches as purposeful stepping stones. Remember that? Like the, the way that it works is you're supposed to go to a, and I don't even know what this means, you're supposed to go to a small church, quote unquote, a small church, and then once you get an offer from a bigger church, you go there without... I mean, it's not even like, could God be calling me to go to another place? Or could God be calling me to go to Afghanistan? Or, or could God be calling me to go to Russia? Or, or, or go, you know, help in India or something like that? It's not even that. It's like the automatic business CEO mentality that when you get more money offered at you, you go at it. Um, we don't want to play that game. Amen? And I, want, I want to continue to work with you and, um, and to serve with you. But there's going to be some things that we're going to face in the future. I'm just going to be honest. This is just gut level, heart to heart this morning. That um, The title of our message is uh, Transformational Church. It's wildly unpopular. Say, Jeff, what do you mean by transformational church? Notice again the text in uh, first, or Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all with unveiled face, that means that God has removed the blinders, Right? Remove the blinders for our eyes that we behold. That means we look, we see, we take in visually the glory of the Lord. Wow. You know what a lot of us, if you've been raised in church, you know what we are beholding? We're beholding what, let me just be very honest, we behold what Rocky Mount Baptist Church has done, right? Or what Franklin Heights has done. 
or is doing or what Furnace Creek has done and is doing. And I think it's so easy for us to look even, even, you know, Great Church Thomas Road in Lynchburg is reaching lots of people to look at other people and for us to be focused in upon what they're doing or what they did. But the scripture says right here that we behold the glory of the Lord. And here's how that makes the difference in church life. So often we're so used to what we're used to. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're just used to what we're used to. We like coming in, having that same setup, the same songs, the same kind of songs, same kind of sermon, the same clothes, the same whatever. Um, and, and then what happens after a while is we grow stale, don't we? The passage says that when we behold the glory of the Lord, we are focused upon Christ. We are transformed into the same image. So here's, this is right in your outline. I'm just going to read this to you. Have you ever wondered why when God begins to transform a church, kind of what we have here, a little bit, much of the transformational changes are wildly unpopular with many of those within the church. Have you ever noticed that? Then when you got a church, folks who've been there a long time, and God begins to really change some stuff, you got people with folded arms in their heart that sit back and say, we've never done it that way before. Y'all know what the definition of stupid is? Yeah, you, you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. And I think a lot of times in our churches, don't we? We do the same thing and we expect to get different results. So um, there's a friend of mine, Jimmy McChrystal in Texas. He got saved several years ago, um, was not a believer at all. He got genuinely saved. And then it was like church drama, right? Like he And he said, man, before I became a Christian, before I really got saved, like the real thing, I thought that the problems... For the church came from like atheists on the outside, right? Like trying to say stuff about the church. He said, but I had no clue that the vast majority of the problems within the church, problems being people holding the church back from doing what's going to reach people, actually comes from inside. Now, have you noticed that as well? Like seriously, how, how many of you have, have seen a church split, all right? Over a Satanist demonstration on the front, front, front walk, right? Like holding up placards, God is not God, Satan is God, drink blood with us. Like I've, I've never, I've never seen that, right? Like I've never, I've never seen a church split. Like, you know what? I've always wanted to sacrifice cats. And then stand around in a circle in a fire and, 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 and say gibberish. I'm going to become... No, it doesn't happen that way, does it? It comes often. What we're going to break down, we've got six choices to make. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of background of church history and what's happened in the past. Normally, the problems come from inside. Example number one, this is in your bulletin. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the greatest theologian, preacher probably that's ever um, been born in the U.S., the Great Awakening happened, 1700s, people were being saved, and there's something, you can go Google this if you want to, there's lots of information for you history buffs. There's a group of ministers called the Old Lights, who hadn't seen anybody saved in a long time. It was like, sit up here very rigidly, and just, because you're in church, you need to be reverent. By the way guys, I like what Johnny Hunt says, that reverence is not rigor mortis. Eh? I was like, that's... That's good. And the old lights had that confused. 
So when people begin to come to church and they begin to hear the Word, there are people like broken over their sin, like strong men. You know those kind of guys, they don't have hands, they have paws. Right? Like strong men would get down on their knees and weep before God because they were broken and they were contrite and they were genuinely repentant over their sin. They were being changed. And the old light sat back and said, basically, religion ought to affect the intellect and not the emotions. This is nothing more than emotionalism. Well, let me tell you what, guys. When you really get saved, man, you can't hold it in, can you? I mean, think about like think about this, all right? For our thinkers, if God is real, let's take this as a hypothetical. If He's actually, if He exists, and reality is the way that the Bible says it is, that God created everything in perfection, and then there was that fracturing of that relationship through sin, the disease, and war, and famine, and rape, and and dentist, and IRS, and everything like that came from sin. And so then you have God entering into space and time. His Son, who takes the penalty for what we did on Himself, and He rises again from the dead and says, if you honor Me, if you trust Me, I'll forgive all of your sin. If that's the case, and we know in our hearts what we really are, and then there's one day where the Holy Spirit breaks through and says, you know what, you've been a church member for a long time, but you know that you've never been born again the way that I said you must be. And the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart, you repent of your sin, That's not something that you can simply do and then it doesn't affect you. So what happened in the Great Awakening is that Edwards actually later got fired from his church. The greatest preacher in America got fired because of basically people in the church. Second example, John Wesley in the Church of England. John Wesley, incredible preacher. In fact, I would encourage you to Google some of his or buy it from the bookstore. Read his sermons and I guarantee you your hair on your arms will stand up. He gives the real meaning to hellfire preaching. Not, not like weird stuff, but true, like convicting, like you read this and you're like, I need to see if I'm really saved, kind of preaching. Guess what happened? The ministers from the Church of England put their sights on him because he went to the wrong kind of people. He tells a story that he went to preach to a bunch of coal miners. And he says they came out of the, the coal mines and their, their fake faces and their hair was just black from the soot. And he says, I begin to preach the gospel. This is an awesome story. I begin to preach the gospel to many of them who are illiterate. They couldn't even read. And he says, then the Holy Spirit began to break the hearts. And he says, then he saw just tears running down those faces that were covered with the black soot. Because you see, he preached the wrong kind of sermons to the wrong kind of people. John Wesley would say things like, it doesn't matter if you're a church member. If you've never been born again, you go to hell. People didn't like that. He would say things like, man, it does not matter. He didn't say, man, he was much more eloquent than I. He would say things like, your good works cannot get you into heaven. And the Church of England would actually incite mobs. Like, imagine this, a group of robed preachers and clergy like going to the local punks, be like, hey, you want to have some action? We need some mob guys. They're like, right on. You know, and so they get these guys and they sick the mob on this little scrawny short man named John Wesley and would preach on the anointing of the Holy Spirit and people were saved. And then the third example of why transformational church is wildly unpopular from the people in the church most of the time is our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he came to do? He came to set the captives free. He went to be with the people that they were called drunkards and partiers and wine-bibbers and gluttons is the ways that it translated in the Bible. And the people within the church said, 
You're not supposed to go be with those kind of people because they are, quote-unquote, sinners. And I think if anything that we can do for this year is to, to realize that in God's eyes there are no good people. Y'all okay? All right. Then hold, 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 hold on, hold on. Jeff, I'm a good person. I've never, we, we love this, right? We know this now. I've never killed anybody. Like, how many of you, when your kid came home, son, did you kill anybody today? No, dad, I didn't kill anyone. You're such a good son. Like, seriously? That's our measure of goodness? And, and we compare ourselves to people like, you know, I've never, I'm not Osama bin Laden. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not so-and-so. But compared to God, man, I'm, I'm the actual opposite of good. I'm wicked. My heart is foul. I need his forgiveness. So we've got, we've got to remove this thing about the churches for the good people, right? Who come with their Jesus spray on and with their good clothes and their good smiles instead of, man, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all need his forgiveness. And Jeff, what's it talking about there um, in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3 and verse 17? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Question, is there freedom in your Christian life? You know, some people are so afraid to, to, to show their passion for Jesus because they'll be called a radical, right? Um, if you're actually a Christ follower, you are a radical, like, 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 like a Christ follower, like a Christian in the Bible. Like you are radical compared to the world. So what I was told when I came, I said, what would you like to... I, I asked this, to, and I haven't been able to f- talk to everybody in the church, but the, I, I don't think there was maybe but one or two people who didn't say this. I said, what would you like to see happen? And you know what it was? It was primarily from our older members. We want to see young people reached, Right? We want to see young people reach. That's what we want to see. And I applaud you on that. We're going to talk for the next few minutes. If that is the case, there's going to have to be some things happen before that happens. Ed Stetzer wrote this. He says, and this is a great quote. If you want to write this down, this, this, is, this is the sermon in a sentence. People will only change when the pain of staying the same is more than the pain of change. Ouch. Say that again. People will only change when the pain of staying the same is more than the pain of change. You know, I don't ever want to say no when the Holy Spirit says yes. Do you? There's an article called The Future Dying Church by Drew Goodmanson. He says in America, 3,500 to 4,000 churches close their doors each year. Half of all congregations in the U.S. did not add one person through conversion growth. That's not swapping out from different fish tanks. That's talking about people being saved. Churches lose an estimated over 2 million people each year to nominalism and secularism. That means people just stop coming to church. The question is, and this is a very interesting article, he says, "What what will these churches do when they need to close their doors. And here are the only three options. Number one, dying churches can become large R-E-I-T-S's, real estate investment trust. Stop meeting, just use it for collateral. Dying churches can reinvest in the kingdom by turning over their resources for the purpose of church planning. That basically means we no longer meet here, we let a church plant come in, right? Right? 
like change the name, change everything. We're just going to give what we have over to a new group who's going to try something different that may work. Third, dying churches can be replanted through letting go of control and bringing in leaders who will get them on back on mission. So the question is, man, what causes the doors to slowly begin to close? Let's just talk heart to heart. Um, I want to applaud many of you have, who have stayed with it. Big high five. Some of you guys have been through some rough times here. You've told me about it. Times were, I mean, it was like everything was declining. But you stayed with it. You were faithful in your giving. You were faithful to teach your Sunday school class. You were faithful to try to say, you know what, I'm not giving up. God still has a plan for Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And I just want to say that whatever grace that God has given us with these new people, with uh, we have a young lady on mission to, um, to Italy this morning from the church. Susan has gone on a mission trip a couple weeks ago to Nicaragua. What we're going to see, I believe, on a large scale in the future... All the glory goes to God, but thank you for to our long-standing members who have stuck it out. There's something to be said for sticking with it. Amen? The church is not just a place that every time somebody makes you mad, and by the way, you know what, man, I don't want to offend anybody, but I, this happened the other week. I was coming out of Edible Vibe, and I had like a hummus wrap, and my dog was in the car. I had the windows down a little bit, and I just, it was one of those moments you're you're just happy to see your dog. You know what I mean? I mean, you're just happy to see your dog. And I didn't notice an older lady walking on the other side. So what she saw, she didn't see the dog in the car. I walk up to the car and I go, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. And she thought that this bearded hippie was coming on to her going, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. So if you hear at any bridge meetings, older ladies, or whatever goes on, that there's some young hippie trying to pick up older women, it was not your pastor. (laughs) But seriously, I don't want to offend you just to be a jerk. Now, if the gospel offends you, that's an offense that's real. And we must be wounded before the Holy Spirit can heal us. But church is not a place to come and just look to be offended. It's kind of like this, man. If I go to a restaurant and there's like flies in my soup, if there's roaches in my drink, y'all are going to go eat afterwards. All right, we totally clean back here. But like, I'm not going to go back. Have you noticed some people in church, they go back to be offended? It's like, if you don't like the leadership that much, if your Sunday school teacher kicks you in the face every week, I mean, why do you go back? Once again, we're not looking to, to, to offend people, but man, I just want to applaud you guys for sticking with it. Because what has happened a lot of times is the churches fold. And sometimes that may be the best thing if you have a group of people who knows what to do but won't do it. And there's another situation where people need leadership in order to follow Christ. So I just want to say, praise the Lord for your sticking with it. But there's a several ways I want to talk to you very quickly about uh, how to kill a church. All right, This is how you close the doors. So if any of you um, are mean and cantankerous, you're just looking for a church to kill, I'm going to give you a great recipe. It is, it is, It will work. Number one, maintain an unbiblical, silly tradition. Monthly business meetings. The type of traditions where you have competent people with jobs in the congregation to say, for example, we want you guys to be our finance team. The finance team figures out a budget. 
The church approves the budget, but they've got to come back to the church every month in order to buy cups for a church social. That is the way that you close the doors on a church, especially with younger people. Number two, you fight over non-essentials. The way, I'm just going to say this, um, the way that we stand when we do um, the Lord's Supper. If that offends you, I'm sorry. But after I get preaching, I can't remember how to do it any other way. You know how they did it in the Bible? They all sat down. It was very, very, very non-liturgical. And they had a hunk of bread and there's a group of guys in Jesus and they passed it around and tore off a piece. And they passed around a common cup. And it was a communion. It was not focused upon the ritual. Like if we were to move these candles, would that offend you? If we were to move these seats, which no one sits in anyway. <laughs> or this over here. I don't know who this is for. Uh, maybe somebody can come claim this, but, but it's up here. There are some churches like, and I'm, I'm dead serious that if you move this stuff, somebody would be mad. But usually that same person is not going to shed a tear if there hasn't been anyone saved in six months. That's how you kill a church. Uh, number three, you become inward focused instead of outward driven. What the pastor does, what the deacons do, what the elders operate for is all about us and our needs and not about the lost people and going into all nations. Number four, you maintain a mode of operation or a tradition that leads to an increasing irrelevance. That means you simply just do what you do because you've always done it. We've told this before, but by way of reinforcement. Remember the story about the lady and their family had always cut the top of the turkey off before they cooked it in, in right? They cooked the turkey for Thanksgiving. And somebody says, I, why do we cut the top of the turkey off and put it in the pan? And the mom said, I don't know. Let's ask the grandmother. And the grandmother said, oh, well, that's because when, when I was a kid, my mom cut off the top of the turkey and put it in the pot because our stove was too small for a whole turkey. But it become a sacred tradition. So when we, you ask the question, why do we do things? Why do we, I'm going to use the bad C word in church. Why do we, Lord help me, change things? It's not just for the purpose of reinventing the wheel, but what does the Bible say? Number five, um, once you maintain a bib, unbiblical silly tradition, once you focus inward instead of outward, once you fight over non-essentials, once you maintain a tradition that's inc- more increasingly irrelevant, then you can close the doors. And if we had screens right now, we would flash up pictures of churches in Europe. Santa Jeff, there's not really a correlation there. Oh, yes, there is. In Europe, what has killed the church, and God is doing a great work there. I have friends that live there. They're doing awesome work. Theological liberalism. For example, the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not actually the Word of God. Jesus may be the only way, but we're not really going to be adamant about that. That type of stuff killed the European church, but the way that it transforms itself is into a redneck bubba in a Baptist church, and that goes upon, here's what I think instead of what the Bible says. Very quickly, here's our three things that I would love for the Lord to do among us. Number one, this is for me. I pray that I would love the Lord like I did when I first got saved. Do you remember that? For those of you that are, that are saved here, do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? I pray that God does such a work in our heart that we would go back to that. Some of you have lost it. Things have happened. Life has gotten tough. 
Maybe there was a divorce or maybe there was a church split. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe a pastor. And this happens all the time. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. A lot of times pastors are jerks and they see people as means to ends. Like, I'm going to try to use this person to achieve my objective instead of ends in themselves. Then people lose faith. They may come listen to a sermon, but they're thinking in their heart, bro, I'm going to have to know you for three decades before I can trust you a half of a percent. May it be that we forgive. Amen? That's the second thing. First thing, I pray that God would do in our hearts is that God would cause us to love Him the way that we did when He first saved us. And secondly, that we would love each other and forgive each other the way that Christ loves and forgives us. And finally, I pray that God in our church, if we, if we could just through the power of the Holy Spirit reach these, these goals and, and put these into practice, if we could, thirdly and finally, if we could just if we could love lost people enough to simply tell them the truth. Some of you've got friends. If you don't, like I said the other week, talk to me, I'll be your friend. But you've got friends that are lost. Some of you are married to someone who doesn't know Christ. You can lovingly, in the power of the Holy Spirit, love them enough to tell them the truth. And tell them the truth. And tell them the truth. And pray and tell them the truth again. May it be that God, through His Holy Spirit, would take that word and He would transform their heart. So let me give you, before we close, and this is, we haven't really honestly gotten into the main part of the message yet. I'm going to give you, this is in your outline. I'm going to walk through these very quickly. These are the six decisions that I can't make for you. I'm your pastor, yes. I love you, yes. But this has to come from your heart to the Lord. Number one, when God begins to transform our church, we're going to either choose what the advisory capacity, long-standing church members, or degree-laden preachers, quote, think, versus what experienced soul winners, evangelistic pastors, and missional church members, quote-unquote, do. That means that when it comes to what does God want us to do, we're either going to listen to people who have been in church a long time but don't share the gospel, they don't have missional living. See, that, that doesn't mean that you go overseas on a mission trip. It simply means that the way you live, you live on mission, trying to lead people to Christ. And sometimes pastors do have a lot of degrees. You know what? If I get five PhDs, you shouldn't listen to me anymore. Then you would if I was simply preaching the Word of God. Did you hear that correctly? Just because a pastor, just because if, if I or somebody else has a lot of degrees or somebody comes in here to speak to us on what we should do, we should say, what does the Bible say? So when it comes down to it, say, guys, how can we really reach Franklin County? God has been gracious to us, but to see this, guys, there's so many lost people here, it's not even funny. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, seriously, lost people, you know, I know lost people we don't know, like random people moving into the country, retiring here, people at the lake who are not even from this area. Uh, the, all of Franklin County, Roanoke is slowly moving here because the economy's rough and we're becoming almost like a, a bedroom community in Boone's Mill. And there's more lost people than all the churches know what to do with. So something I pray that we would do is pray for Franklin Heights. Amen? Pray for Furnace Creek. Pray for Faith Fellowship. Pray for the churches in this area because we're not in competition. We're not in competition. We're on the same team. Number two, we're going to either make the choice to say, I want to do whatever I'm accustomed to versus a whatever it takes mentality. There's so much here. Wow. 
Number three, in order to reach people in Franklin County, we're either going to say, I'm going to choose whatever musical style, we're speaking in church, that I am accustomed to versus whatever style best conveys the message of the gospel. Jenna, Jeff, are you talking about having heavy metal concerts on Sunday mornings? Some of y'all actually are serious like you think that I'm going to say yes. No, because, I mean, as cool as that would be, um, it would be a little bit strange to see... um, Never mind, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to move on. I was about to get in a lot of trouble there, so I'm just going to move on. It's easy to, to associate a style of music with the gospel. For example, does the gospel ever change? No. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. But the way in which you present the gospel sometimes does need to change. But the question for some people is not what does the Bible say, but what am I used to? I'm not talking about having hardcore rap here on Sunday morning or heavy metal concert. We're talking about just whatever. Um, a, a good example of this is there are a lot of churches that say we want to reach young people. But I said, okay, here's my question. Um, and they say we want to reach them with everything possible. I say, okay, what type of musical concerts do you have? You know, most Southern Baptist churches, what they have is either bluegrass or Southern gospel 95 plus percent of the time. Who listens to that style of music? Mostly um, people who are already churched, people over 50, or people who've already heard the gospel and don't want to be churched. Now, is there anything wrong with bluegrass or southern gospel? If you listen to bluegrass for like 20 hours a day, that may be getting a little bit much, but there is nothing wrong with either one. I was raised on Bill Gaither. I remember going in, you know, my mom's singing Bill Gaither, and they got the guys in the quartet that are turning like red because they're trying to hold out the note for that long. I'm like, just, you know, sing it and get oxygen. It's okay. We won't think that you're less of a performer if you breathe. I was raised on that stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But, but, but the question is, are, are, are we, and this is okay too, if you want to have a concert that ministers to the church, ministers to the people here, fine, have them. But did you see the difference um, when Sounds of Liberty came as opposed to when we had the bluegrass, right? Bluegrass, basically, I, and I could be wrong here, I didn't find a visitor under 50. Now, are we, do you say, Jeff, are you saying that we're never going to have Southern Gospel? No! Let them come, you know? And did you guys notice too with, um, I think it's getting really stifling. You guys okay? All right? The guitar player looked like Tom Selleck. I mean, I, I want to get my picture with Tom Selleck next time when he comes back. It's not, it's not wrong, okay? We're not going to stop doing that. We're not going to say, no more, you know, Southern Gospel or Bluegrass. But we've we got to say, okay, what is our purpose in doing that? If our purpose is to minister to the church, yes. But if you do the same thing and expect different results, you will not reach young people that way. It's simply, that's the way it is. Now, can you do something new and tasteful? Yes. Yes. can be done well. And neither are we talking about scrapping everything that we do. It's just a question. Number four. With the people who come here, this is where it's going to get very awkward. We're either going to take the position that says, people can come who are clean, white, and middle class. Let me say that again. Our mentality in this church is to say, if you're clean, that excludes a lot of people. White and middle class. That's who we want. Or we're going to adopt the mentality that Jesus has that says, whoever so will may come. Amen? 
was a youth rally at the church I pastored in Georgia. And another church came, and man, they had they had some rough looking dudes. I, and it was the type the, in the youth group, like if something goes down, like if a church, I don't know if you can compare that, a church bar fight or something like that happens here, I want you guys on my team. They were rough looking dudes. And I asked the youth minister, I was like, man, it's great you're doing outreach to, to guys like that. You know, a lot of churches don't do that. They just, you know, say, you know, keep your dirty people away. And he's like, man, it's been great. You know, some have been saved, but he says, I've got a problem. A lot of the, and this be, he says, a lot of the older people, I don't, I don't think that we have that problem here. In fact, I think that our older people embrace this because you guys have told me. But he said, especially there's this one lady who speaks for, for a lot, and she said, I actually, I'm going to just give this to you. She said, and I quote, I'd rather have our church doors closed than have kids like that in our church. Okay? That's a mentality that says that if you're clean, white, and middle class, you can come. If you're not, if you don't fit in those categories, then here's what the church is saying, and I'm not cussing. Go to hell. Right? Because if you want to learn about Jesus, you've got to be good first. You've got to have money. You've got to be this color. You've got to be the socioeconomic status. In fact, Jesus came and He destroyed the wall of separation between all peoples. Number five. We're either going to choose what other dead or quote status quo churches are doing versus how the Holy Spirit is leading transformational churches. So let you guys know, in Virginia, this this is just a fact. Most of the Baptist state conventions, conservative, whatever, Virginia, we don't do a good job at evangelism. Florida is rocking it. Texas, aggressively evangelistic. I don't know why I haven't been here, and this is not a reflection upon the church. And I'm just going to say it's a reflection upon the pastoral leadership in the state. In the state, we don't see many people saved. And the churches that we do look up to in the state, except for a few, like Thomas wrote, exceptional, the ones that we think are really rocking it out aren't. It's not a criticism, it's just the facts. If we look to to say, okay, we want to have a paradigm of church ministry, let's look at churches who are blowing the seams out, seeing all kinds of people saved, people who have addictions to drugs and alcohol, have a safe place to come, they get cleaned up from that, uh, like girls who are pregnant out of wedlock, they have a fund for that. I mean, we're talking about not just getting saved, but the totalistic life change, man. Let's look at those kind of churches. And if your paradigm for church growth is a church that is having a few here and a few there, that's honestly not who um, who I want to look for and look at. It's kind of like, um, finally, number six, we're going to either choose whatever will build our church or whatever will build the kingdom of God. Y'all know this, but man, this is not my church. Y'all glad to hear me say that? Newsflash. This is not your church. You know, one day, I mean, whether the Lord returns or whether I die or something happens, the name Jeff Robinson will be taken off that sign. One day that sign will turn to, everything turns to dust or rust, doesn't it? One day, this beautiful building, and I applaud the leadership of the church back in the late 70s who saw fit to build a big room. Amen for that. But one day we're not going to be here, but you and I are going to give every single church member, and please don't, don't miss this, every single one of us is going to give an account before God upon what we do with what He's done here. 
We're either going to go in the community and spread stuff about, and by the way, what we want the Lord, we're not even talking about being edgy, right? We're not, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, like disco lights in here. And when we take the offering, you know, you got the the deacons that are like busting moves coming down the aisle. We're We're not talking about even edgy ministry. We're just talking about, about, sorry, that was, that was a rough, rough middle picture there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about basic ministry and we'll, Close with this. Um, first church I pastored, this is actually a brick from uh, the original back wall. It was a small church in the country. I went there. I was uh, new out of Bible college. And there was a pastor who had served many years in the area who the music minister said, you got to meet this guy. So we went to, to eat lunch. And I was looking forward to some good encouragement. And here's what he told me. He said, back in the 70s, people used to come to church. Is that not true? Maybe more or less. Church is filled up. Had 120 in Sunday school. He had actually pastored the church. Then he said, but that's all changed now. He got kind of this gravelly voice tone. It's all changed now. And I was like, oh Lord, what has changed? I'm here. I am here. I am in. I am in. And what has changed? People don't care about God anymore. They don't want to go to church anymore. In fact, the only thing that's left around here is just a few old hard nuts. And it's going to be tough to crack them. So you know what I thought? I thought I was like, so do we need to go ahead and give the church to UNICEF now? Or do you want me to burn my Bible and quit God later? Right? At what point did God become anemic? I said, you know, I went home a little bit discouraged. I was like, God, I'm 23. I have no idea what I'm doing. I believe that you're real. I believe that your word is strong. I believe the gospel works. So would you just help me? And it was a church, I think there were like 46 votes cast for pastors, something like that. And when I, when I went, very small building. And the end of, of, of a year, we had seen more people saved than voted for a pastor to come. And it got to the point where you couldn't really, it was the, the building was too small. You couldn't, I mean, it was just like 90% capacity. And, you know, I, when, when a brother's not warned, you know, his old spice, that's a rough way to listen to a sermon. You know what I'm talking about? So, so we said, well, we had kind of had a building like this and we had bridal rooms. Um, so we just said, well, let, let's just, you know, we had some money saved up. And, and, and so let's just, you know, spend the money. By the way, this is not a bank. So when you give to this, we're going to try to spend it on ministry. Amen. I'm not saying we're, we're not going to have money to replace the AC if it goes out, but we're not just going to sit here and be like, we want your money. You know, it's just, that's just bizarre and freaky and weird. But we knocked out the walls and, and made room and put in more pews, and God brought more people to that small church in Iron City, Georgia. And the population for Iron City that time was 390. And I, I was in there with the construction guys. I said, man, would you mind if I have one of these bricks? And this is, this is good mortar. I mean, this is back in the day, 1950s mortar, when they made good stuff. And, and I have this in my office, and I said, you know, when degree-laden preachers, the ones who have quote-unquote experience, tell you this is what God can't do, or you should just close up shop, or let's get very personal. Or the fact that, Christian, you have screwed up way too much this past month. Lost person that you're way too lost for God to save you. There's a Greek word for that. And um, it's called hogwash. 
It's not true. We serve a God who's able to move mountains, and sometimes that involves moving a few bricks in a Baptist church. You see, Jeff, are you talking about a building campaign? No. No. I'm simply asking us to be open to the way that the Lord would allow us to do ministry in the future. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As our musicians are coming to lead us in this time of invitation, for those of you, and you say, you don't know. You have no idea, honestly. You've had a church experience in the past, but you have no idea where you would go if you died right now. You don't know. In fact, you, we say this a lot, but you probably you have a pretty good idea that you would go to hell, and you know that you deserve it. You know you've never been born again. You've never been saved. You're ready right now to give it to Christ. The Bible says, repent. Believe the gospel. Right now, just, just repent. Say, God, I'm receiving you. I'm giving it to you. If you're ready to just join up with Jesus and get in full on and hardcore, we're going to give you a chance to just walk down. When we begin to sing, when the music starts, we give you a chance to walk down any of these aisles. And by doing that, you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to walk with Christ. I'm ready. And for the Christians, you've backslidden. You've been away from the Lord. Satan has beaten you up this whole time telling you that you're not good enough. It's true, but the fact that Jesus is, you come to Jesus once again in repentance. Would you cleanse me? Some of you need to come simply to come pray for lost people. Whatever God calls you to do, if you need to join His church, man, come on. If you want to be baptized, we ask you to come. Just be open to whatever God leads you to do. Father, we ask that you take this time and God that you would... Give courage to those who need to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.